cobblestone town tucked in the hills of rural Brazil, hundreds of people fill the streets. They are waiting to touch and taunt the bull, or in Portuguese, the boy, for good luck. It won't be easy, though. The boy will run, jump, and if provoked, charge directly into the crowd. This is the chaotic and explosive atmosphere that starts the conga. The Kangadu, also called the Festival of the Rosary, dates back to the 1860s in Oliveira. This week-long festival praises five Catholic saints, but its traditions hail from elsewhere. Central West Africans trafficked by the Portuguese managed to keep some spiritual traditions despite the threat of slavery. On the surface, they hid their gods and faith, but below, the rituals of praying, drumming, and dancing are live in the festival. The house of the Silva family sits on a small mountain. Tonight, it is filled with family as they wait for the boy to arrive. Ana Luzia leads her family in call and response in preparation for the boy. Right as they finish, he arrives. The family spills out of the house to greet and touch the boy. He is a clean, all-white cow with two big horns turned up in a U. His hair feels surprisingly smooth and soft. He does not appear threatening. In fact, he does not have teeth to bite you, nor hooves to trample you with. He is just a hollowed-out cow with a man hidden inside. None of this, however, stops four-year-old Maria Hita. She bravely asks her father, Weverton, to help her touch the boy. As he lifts her high into the air, her little brown hand touches right below the boy's dark, beady eye. She recoils back into her father's arms with a proud smile and a laugh. Perhaps this year she'll have extra luck. My first time touching it, I certainly did. This is only my second time at the festival, but this town and the people are forever etched into my heart. What I experienced here shattered what I knew to be true about myself. I have since been two years trying to slowly piece my world back together. This visit, I hope to learn how a festival on the other side of the world made me feel like I finally found a place where I belong. Throughout the festival, 
colorful traveling bands called guardas march all around the city. My first night in Oliveira, Ana Luzia invites me to a rehearsal for one of these guardas. At the front, there is an altar with a figurine for each saint. Beneath them are food offerings and lit candles. The walls are adorned with pictures. All of the people are deceased, but certainly not forgotten. Ana Luzia begins to introduce me to people when... The drumming of the guarda flows into my ears, but I feel it in my body. The beat of the drum fills up my chest. The rhythm feels familiar to my body, but I've never heard it before. The beat builds and builds in my lungs until it lodges in my throat. I feel compelled to sing, but my tongue doesn't know the language. It's not Portuguese. I dance and cry in awe the entire night, and that was just the rehearsal. These songs, this drum, seemed like they had once been so important to who I was. Thousands of miles from all I'd ever known, in a living room I'd never been in before, why did I feel more at home than ever? Way before I even went to Brazil, I carried this feeling of loss, like I was drifting through an endless void. For some reason, I continued to stumble upon this faint blue thread. If I focus deeply with my heart, I feel it connecting me, tethering me to something. This blue thread goes on for miles and miles of nothing until it winds through a pile of bones floating. Hip bones, skull bones, toe bones, femurs, all just as aimless as me. The pile gets more and more dense until it feels like there's barely any space, just bone. But this thread is still with me. One of those bones is shining, wrapped carefully in blue thread. The bone has something inscripted on it, in a language I can't read, but I can feel. The message is for me. My experiences in Oliveira felt like reading that bone. On my second visit, I returned wanting to know exactly why and how the festival could speak to me so deeply. So, I asked for help. I don't know if I will succeed in explaining this because it is very complex. I am sitting with Padre Jailson in his office. He is a middle-aged black Catholic priest. He is a master's student in psychoanalysis who is a practicing therapist. He grew up in the festival, so I figured he would be a good place to start. The spirituality that mixes here in one form or another is very special. It is connected to an experience of overcoming human suffering. I think these are experiences that touch any type of person. And it's because of this that people identify with that suffering. I don't know what force this is, 
I just know that in this manner of ritualizing suffering, we overcome it. And that calls people here. It sustains the life of people. Right before this visit to Brazil, I had gone to Ghana. I thought maybe I was impacted by the festival because it had deep African roots that I was just now discovering. I went to Ghana during the year of return. I was hopeful. Perhaps I'd bump into someone that looked like me or hear a drumbeat like in Brazil that felt familiar. Congratulations! After generations of separation, you're home! I went from slave castles to rivers to forests looking for that feeling and couldn't find it. As I stood on the shores of the Atlantic, all I felt was grief, horror, and exhaustion. Midnight kidnapping, shackles, a trek through the rainforest, a dungeon for months, a boat, months, no one to care for you. At last, a shore, a trek, strangers, new lands, tireless work, torture, love, children, separation. The true suffering of the Middle Passage is unimaginable. Slavery in Brazil ended in 1888. Most of the songs of the Congadu were created during slavery and passed down. These songs carry this feeling of grave loss. They speak of a pain that a saint brought them through. Padre Jailson's answer about the identification with suffering makes sense. But I'm curious what it's done for other people. There was an important moment in my life, which was when my grandma was very sick, bedridden, and we asked the Gorda of Our Lady of Mercy if they could come to be with her and pray with her and bless her, lift the banner so that she could live again to see this moment in the festival, perhaps one of the last moments of her life. And she, so full of happiness with this spiritual energy, stood up, even with her disabilities, and walked to the door. She blessed each of them and stood there watching as they left the mountain all the way until they were out of sight. Wow. Eventually, his grandmother passed. We put her in the ground in a way with dignity which is how she chose to live for the rosary. I asked Padre Jailson for a memory from her funeral, and he shared with me a song that Aguarda sang for her. It remembers the crown that she wore. Lá do céu e vem descendo uma coroa Ela vem é do reino da glória As canções, elas ganham there's a beautiful thing that happens with the Heinadu. The songs deepen in significance, depending on what you are living at that moment. These songs don't just remind us of who we love and that have entered the hands of Our Lady, but reminds us a little bit of this way of living, this rosary, our mode of honoring this crown, the way that we can, in one form or another, belong to the people that gather around this Heinadu. I certainly found refuge in the festival. Did I need to be Catholic to be loved this way? You only have one task in your life. To encounter some sort of spiritual expression that attends to your needs. You just need to walk the path of your life. This path, I know, 
It, in reality, is marked by all that is our familial inheritance, the ancestry that we receive, the beliefs that take hold of our bodies. Your task is to make something of it that is truly yours. Maybe Catholicism alone wasn't the answer. I know I encountered something that calls me here, but to make it speak to me, I needed to know how it worked. I arrive midday as the Guarda climbs the base of the mountain. Dressed in uniform, they look powerful. White tennis shoes, white pants, white blue satin skirts with white embroidery, white shirt, golden hoop earrings, and satin blue bandanas tied around their heads. Not a stain to be found. In the front, a person carries the banner of Our Lady of Mercy. Front and center, the captains lead the group in song. They also protect them from spiritual traps planted in the road, evil spirits under bridges and oncoming cars. Captains are flanked on both sides by drummers. Each drummer strikes a light blue handmade cowskin drum. Behind the drummers are the pan shakers and then the dancers. On the way to Vander Lucio's house, strangers come out of their homes. A woman with her baby on her hip bends to kiss the band. Others kneel in the street to pay respects. Children dance alongside the road. Every step up the mountain and down into each valley, the guarda walks in lockstep. They do not stop until they arrive at Lucio's house. When they arrive, he offers them water. The guarda rests and recuperates for the long journey back home. Thankfully, it's downhill. Each day of the seven-day festival, the guardas go out on visits. They visit not only their royals, but also schools, churches, and houses. Sometimes people request the guardas to pray for them when there is something strange happening. They're basically like black Ghostbusters. In the rehearsal space, I sit with Queen Cleusa, a lifetime queen in the festival. She is one of the oldest people I know here. Her salt and pepper hair is braided into a shoulder-length ponytail. She talks with the full weight of wisdom in each word, but her laughs are light and inviting. This very space used to be slaveholders. This entire block. This was a large plantation. And this right here was a slave quarters. It was. I knew that somewhere here in the town, there had to be plantations. But I didn't know I was standing on top of one. I asked her about this magic power the festival has to heal people. And she tells me a story. They invited us to go to the farm because things were happening that were disturbing the townspeople. So we went there to pray. We went to pray. Child, if you saw how those bulls on that farm were acting, when we started singing and praying, those bulls were bucking at us, trying to tear us open with their horns. How angry were those cows? A group of us held space to talk to spirits on the land. 
the slave owner of the former plantation appeared. She asked us to return her slaves. If anyone appeared to me in spirit, I would probably freak out. I was not raised in a tradition that communicates with spirits. I'm from Kansas. However, some people in the Guardas participate in Afro-Brazilian religions and are trained to communicate with spirits. I was confused at this point. I could understand why enslaved people would be quite angry, but how were they still here? We were there to free the slaves from the land. They were hers and they were very angry. It's because we carry our ancestors with us. Since slavery, we carry them with us. At the root, all of us here, all of us were enslaved or were slave masters. Now they cling on to a lot of the material world. They come bringing that. At times, they die, but don't forget what happened. They laugh and pass away. Some don't forget that they left. Others think that they are still alive. The thought of spirits lingering around after death disturbs me. It's like this. Energy, you know. We always have to pray for them. We have to ask for Maria. Lift her up just to set them free. A lot of prayer helps to ease the suffering in their hearts. Helps them let go of that pain and become aware of what they went through. The thought of someone caring for those spirits makes me feel relieved. There's a lot of mystery. There is a lot left to learn. If you saw these things, you'd believe it to be a terror, but for them, it was a reality. After we went there, we heard that things got better on the farm. Mm-hmm. They did. Things got better. I share with her a look of awe and disbelief. But something about what she's saying feels true. It's like that, my brother. It's like that. If each of us carries our ancestors with us, and several of mine went through the Middle Passage and American slavery, could I be carrying some of their anger and grief with me too? Maybe something of the festival, the prayers, the music, the congregating was easing the suffering of my ancestors too. At the very least, it was easing something that I was carrying with me. What exactly, I was unsure. I returned to Andalusia's house on the day that the kings and queens of Our Lady of Mercy will be coronated. This day is representative for the Bantu deity of health, wealth, and love. Water flows down several levels of a small fountain. On top sits a figurine of Our Lady of Mercy. Ana Luzia's mother fixes me a plate of fresh food, and I sit and eat and catch up with the Silva sisters. We eat, joke, and laugh as we get ready for the coronation. I tell them about my recent time in Ghana and how I'm trying to figure out why the festival is impacting me so much. 
Ana Luzia looks at me with a knowing smile and says, Não é porque, é para que. Not why, but for what. I take note. Maria Hita, her daughter, runs by and bangs a small drum. It is beyond cute. In that moment, I can't help but to think of my seven-year-old niece, Kinsey. I imagine her learning to make an altar for her great-grandfather. Feelings of peace, strength, and love fill my heart. There's nothing I would want more. Moments like these, where this family gathers around the crown, are beyond affirming. When I'm with them, it feels like I have awakened, just for a little bit, from my nightmare of floating bones. Usually, crowns are passed down family lineages. The Silva family never had a crown until her. A monumental abnormality for the festival. In our house, I always was the sister that liked the festival the most. So much so, they'd say I didn't listen. My sister would even make fun of me. In her youth, her parents distanced themselves from the festival in favor of Catholicism. Passionate for the festival, Ana Luzia participated anyways. Her passion paid off. I would leave the house at three in the afternoon, run around the streets, and return at midnight with my father next to me. People make promises during the festival to receive a certain miracle. In order for it to come true, you must promise that saint something in exchange. I was with the platonic love for more than 10 years. I managed to tell him that I had feelings for him, but he only wanted to be my friend. And I suffered a lot because of that. Because every now and again, he would give me hope. In 2004, when the bandera was coming down, I made a promise to Our Lady. I said this, my heart is hurting for this man. If Our Lady of Mercy puts in my life someone that truly loves me, I will dedicate the rest of my life to the rosary. I said that to her, and I didn't have any idea of what I was asking. Today, I have it. That same year she made the promise, Padre Gielson's grandmother, the queen at that time, was sick. The next year, Ana Luzia met her husband in the festival, and her promise to dedicate her life to the rosary was about to be fulfilled. At the funeral for the former Congo queen, Ana Luzia sat at the front pew next to the body. Even King Vanderlucio sat next to her. A few days later, her uncle came to the house to spend time with the family. At the time, Ana Luzia didn't know it, but her uncle went straight from their house to the house of King Vanderlucio. I imagine that the same worry that was in his head was the same worry that was in my head. Who is going to take her place? Because we were missing very few days to lift the bandera. And you don't lift the bandera without a queen I remembered in that conversation, it was him, my mom, and me in the kitchen. And my mom said this to him, nominate Ana Luzia. She's nuts for this festival. Why don't you nominate her? But I think my mom was joking. I don't think that she had any idea of what she was saying 
And my uncle just Foi left. He didn't say yes. Meu tio falou com ele, no. deu uma indicação de nome. I have an indication of a name for someone to be the Congo queen. It's my niece Ana Lucia. E rei falou com ele assim, And the king said to him, My lord, sir Lazaro. I don't believe it. I just finished praying the rosary, asking for her to send someone to me. And here you are. It's hard for me not to think that there was something behind it all. Her nomination passed, and the next year, Ana Luzia was crowned. Kings and queens in the festival only get to wear their crown one day out of the year. During the Kangadu, they adorn themselves in full regalia for a processional into the main plaza. Each night, royal pairs for each saint are crowned. A balcony is set up in the center of the town plaza next to the church. Food vendors sell popcorn, hot dogs, and kebabs to a crowd of over a thousand people. They've all come to watch. All of the guardas are lined up on the tallest hill of the town. Each time a drum strikes, it echoes throughout the city. The skies and the ground feel activated. The town feels alive. There's a grieving sadness in the instruments, like they are calling out to a loved one that's far out of reach. Life feels weird and doubled on top of itself, a wormhole. And neither slavery nor Africa are out of reach by the drummer's beat. Anything can happen. As the guarda marches down the hill, the center of town is transformed into their stage. On the same streets where enslaved Africans were marched in chains, they dance and sing in proud remembrance, free. Even now, when capitalism threatens their livelihood, to the beat of the drum, they still persist, one step at a time. Anna Luzia walks at the back of the procession with her king, Vander Lucia, beside her. She wears a white top, a long white royal mantle, and a flowing golden dress. Her shoulders are squared, head high. This is completely different than the trek that her ancestors would have made into the town a century and a half ago. She is quite literally a black queen. Trailing behind her is little Maria Hita. She looks up at her mom as she strides up to the balcony. Fifteen years ago, broken-hearted and naive, she made a promise to a saint. And although it may seem the story ends here, it has only just begun. The crown was still not returned to its rightful home. I was worried because over 70 years, the procession passed by the same place. And I broke that tradition. Because the crown had left that home, the path of the festival had forever changed. We got married in 2013. When we married, one thing always stopped me in his story. 
he never knew his father. He was raised by his grandparents, the festival, and his mom. Each person would tell me one part of the story. So one day, I went to talk with her. Honestly, we were alone, and I asked her, Who is Weverton's father? She said, The son of Paixon. It's him. That's him. Yeah. When I heard this from her, I said, Get out of here. I married the great-grandson of the previous Queen Congo. Then I had I realized I am in this place temporarily. The crown is for Maria the great-granddaughter of the Queen Congo Paixon. That's it. <laughs> okay. The crown, through distance and disconnection, returned to the family. I hope this blue thread would lead me to my ancestors. The suffering of slavery haunts me, but perhaps it was never something to run from, but rather a gift to run towards. When the guardas sing to suffering, the world dances in belonging. Maybe I can sing to it too. Like Maria Hita reaching for the boy, Touching my own suffering has given me a lucky ending. A thousand miles from all I had ever known, I still found a home where I am held. Perhaps enduring love is the experience of diaspora. I don't know if I can give my kin a parallel world filled with songs in their tongue or a room full of familiar ancestors. But maybe someone is drifting in that void and they will hear me calling out to them. Though the quest for belonging is full of unknown promises, it is our birthright. And it will always lead home. Com jeito, meu irmão, a coroa é de Nossa Senhora. Vamos levar ela com jeito, meu irmão, a coroa é de Nossa Senhora.